I invite everybody to have a, a deeper look at uh, the work of Bernacke and the work of uh, Diamond Devig, the work of Kyotaki, uh, and uh, many, many others that follow them. This year, the Nobel Prize in Economics was awarded to three laureates, Ben Bernanke, Douglas Diamond, and Philip Dubvig. The Nobel Prize is a prestigious prize traditionally awarded separately in six different fields, physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, and peace, to those who during the preceding year have conferred the greatest benefit to humankind. The Nobel Prize in Economics, however, was established by the Reserve Bank of Sweden in 1968 and is awarded by the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences in memory of Alfred Nobel. And therefore, while it is not officially the Nobel Prize in the traditional sense, it is still very prestigious and a great honor. This year's laureates, worthy of the prize, analyzed and improved how societies and banks can deal with the financial crisis. Particularly, it looks at the role of banks in the economy during a financial crisis and why it is imperative to avoid or to prevent a banking collapse and a run on the banks. I'm your host, Margot G, and with us today on Ursa's podcast series to discuss the award-winning research is none other than Professor Nicola Vieggi, the sub-chair in monetary economics from the University of Pretoria. Okay, welcome Prof. I know you have done a lot of research in this area and I really look forward to hearing your thoughts. Welcome to our show. Hello, my God. Thank you. So, Prof. Nice to be here. One of my favorite lectures in economics many years ago was about money creation and the role of banks in the financial system. We learned that in a healthy economy, savings are converted into investments. Some people deposit money into the bank and others take the loans which they invest in long-term projects that will hopefully offer a higher return. Before we speak about the role of banks in a financial crisis, what is their role during, could I say, normal or buoyant times? Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, good morning, Margot. Um, the issue, the modern interpretation of banks actually go a bit further uh, uh, further than these uh, interpretation are just intermediary. So in the model that we, we teach in the first year, the bank are intermediary in the way pick and pay is an intermediary. You take savings, uh, you give a loan. But actually, the, the function of the financial market in the system is much more complex. And in some sense, what uh, the contribution of Bernanke, Diamond Vig, really was part of a revolution in economics. There was uh, what is called the information revolution in economics. The fact, the understanding that markets are not only prices, but also information. The information make markets. At this one, uh, there is a lot, a lot of other uh, Nobel Prize that of that is uh, Stiglitz, uh, uh, is uh, Mike Spence, uh, Akerlof. Uh, they really change the way we think about market, uh, we think about the market perfection. In particular, Bernanke, Bernanke Damond Vig, and others really taught uh, what is the information role of the banks. So how banks have a much more complicated role in the economy than just uh, taking savings and giving uh, loans. First of all, the banks do maturity transformation. That is, they borrow short in deposit uh, and uh, money market, uh, and they lend long. 
in risky activities, firms, uh, mortgages, etc. Therefore, first, there is this problem that the true side of the balance sheet of the bank don't match. Uh, there is a short, very liquid, therefore you can go in the bank and take the, the deposit away at any moment in time, but the asset side instead is, is sticky, is long, is made on bet on long-term return, as you said in your introduction. Uh, therefore, this one is already a problem because you deposit in a bank if you trust the bank. Well, there is the famous uh, 1930s uh, movies. Uh, what was with uh, about the run? No? That people will take away the money of the bank yeah. because you are not sure that uh, the that the bank will have enough money because the bank hasn't got sort of physical money. It's just assets and liabilities. Therefore, already there is an instrument of trust. Trust is about information. It's about institution. It's about the overall system or regulation that make possible for you to believe that the bank, uh, that when you go at the bank, uh, your money is available. On the other end, the bank does a long-term uh, long investment based on imperfect knowledge of the uh, quality of the investment they do. Therefore, they lend you money to buy a car, they lend you money to buy a house, they lend you money to, file, to do a long-term investment in some economic activity. But the return from this investment is not certain. Because maybe you take the money and go play in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. uh, therefore, there is a, an element of uh, the bank needing to uh, filter information through or to take insurance against the possibility of you to go to Las Vegas by collateral, uh, therefore your house is a collateral, your, your car is a collateral, and uh, uh, if the firm want to borrow, they will have to give guarantee a collateral. Therefore, this one is all, you know, this, on one end is a fundamental function because you, you personally will never lend to somebody else to buy a house. Huh? Yes. You give short to the bank, and the bank make this maturity transformation. But in this, it becomes risky. Uh, you need regulation. You need rules. You need way to process information. You need way to, uh, to, to understand how information and how the value of your investment change through time. And this one is very much what the great the contribution of Bernanke, Diamond, Diamond in different ways was, first of all, to codify and really understand what this function of the bank entails in terms yeah. of how, uh, yeah. And the other one was to link this one to what is the macroeconomic effect of having a financial system like this. And this one is also what Bernanke especially did was really to understand that Actually, the banks can amplify and generate cycles that go beyond sort of the normal business cycle, but there is a sort of a financial cycle on top of the, of the macroeconomic cycle that make things much more volatile and therefore much more in need of control, regulation. And uh, this is the most important, actually, part of the bank because it's, it's about trust, institution, regulation, etc. Yes, sorry. Okay, Bye. so before you go into that, if we look at the way the financial system has developed, it has been around for hundreds of years. 
a lot of these structures yeah. that have been put in place have been to prevent runs on the banks. Trust has mattered for a long time. Uncertainty has always been an important part of the equation. And we look at how this link between short-term and long-term investments or loans can be amplified with risk going into the unknown future. Now, what then is the specific contribution of these settlements research? What did they do that is different? Because a lot of these concepts we have had some kind of awareness of in the past. No, for sure. But this is true. You know, Bagelot uh, in the 18th, 19th century codified the role of bank, the of central banks, uh, lender or, or last resort to deal with the financial a financial crisis. Bubble burst happen. Uh, you know, you have the tulip, uh, you have the railway, the U.S. railway bubble crash, uh, and you yes. have the 1929 crash, etc. There is Minsky. Uh, looking especially at the financialization of the economy. Therefore, this is, this is always true. These ideas are always around. But the problem is that if you don't codify, if you really don't analyze what is the effect of this, also your regulation or your intervention, etc., are a sort of a learning by doing. What they did fundamentally was one is to give a theoretical framework to really understand this role, this information channel, the, the role of this intermediary. And therefore, to think about the regulation in this context. For example, the, the Diamond David is about deposit insurance. Yeah. Uh, they, because remember that any regulation is a balance. Because you... For example, there is a lot of also economists that uh, think that banks should not lend. If you don't lend, you don't have any risk in the financial system. Mm. No risk whatsoever. Therefore, the banks with 100% of reserves. Therefore, the banks as a box in which you put the money in. There is no risk. But capitalism, the way this economy works, is about making this material transformation is about taking risk long term, is about this difficult balance. In South Africa, we experience this every day, the difficult balance between the conservativeness of the stability of the financial system and the need to take long term risk in order to develop the economy. Because the capitalism is based on debt, it based on bet on investment, long-term investment, on uh, uh, we all claim, we all celebrate the success of the entrepreneur. Mm. But the success of the entrepreneur is based also on financial support. And therefore, on somebody providing insurance in terms of financial risk. This is what the bank system does. They absorb a part of this risk. When the bank don't do that, the economy doesn't work. In, in South Africa, the banks don't lend to small firms, etc., because they don't want to take that risk. Therefore, when we think about regulation, when we think about, uh, we need to think about the details. The details matters a lot. And the relationship between these details and how the economy, the economy works is very much what the contribution, I think, what the contribution of, of uh, Sort of as a start, as a milestone of opening a new a new. Eh? That's what 
is fundamental in the contribution of Bernanke in looking at the relation between financial market and macroeconomy, and diamond digging in providing a sort of framework in which we can analyze all these different aspects of the financial system. Because, yeah, we, you know, in general, yes, we, we, we knew that. But the issue is not what we know, is how do we have an instrument to, to understand how we balance all the trade-offs in working financial market, no? Therefore, how, what is the regulation and what the regulation should be? Or, or for example, in the case of Bernanke, understanding when you have a financial crisis, what you need to do uh, for the QE the, uh, was to really provide a lot of liquidity. Mm. and absorb a lot of risk away of the financial system because otherwise there's the system blocks not the financial system but you know you don't have any more uh, mortgages housing uh, consumption etc therefore do, do not underestimate the importance of codifying understanding the details to be able then to do policy that balance all different uh, alternative uh, objectives that you have and for to do that you have you know, to, to be carefully looking at the data, looking at the, the structure and the details. That's what, uh, you know, when you're an economist, these kinds of things are quite exciting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And at the heart of this whole system is trust, which I find very interesting because even if yeah. we look at now the rise of many countries and economies considering some kind of central bank digital currency and using the yeah. blockchain to affect that trust, there is on some level a demand for maintaining that trust. And when people are exposed to a financial crisis, they panic and there's a lot of uncertainty. So if we look at how this has been codified and how they look at absorbing the shocks with some kind of insurance for the banks, how would these play out in a financial crisis? What are the key takings that we can learn for example, if we had this knowledge a year ago and codified in this way, how different would the bank's decisions, for example, to have gone into quantitative easing and regulate the economy during using the instruments they used? How different would it have been? No, it, it, in some sense, the, the problem of the COVID crisis is that it's not, was, right, the use instrument developed during the financial crisis to deal with a very different kind of shock. Eh? Therefore, the quantitative easing, the zero lower bound, the reduction of interest rate, the forward guidance, all this kind of stuff were really developed around the financial crisis to deal with that shock. And this is a typical economic, uh, uh, economic problem. We always deal with the past crisis and not with the present one. If there is something about the COVID, the problem that was a very different, was we never experienced anything like that. And therefore, we use all the instruments that we have. And all the instruments meant, you know, quantitative easy, for example, in South Africa, although Governor Caniago will, uh, will argue against this interpretation, but whatever quantitative easing is, and so the intervention in the bond market that, that a lot of emerging countries did was specifically to stabilize a specific market, was the bond market, because collapse of trust, and we don't know what we are going, the valuation of assets uh, go down. Remember this, when trust changed, then you change the valuation of the assets that are based on trust. Therefore, if you expect, if you 
uh, if suddenly people try to sell uh, uh, bonds, therefore you have a run on the sovereign, mm. then the responsibility of the bank to stabilize, to give certainty at least on the value of the asset. Because as the value of assets change, this one change the value of the assets in the uh, in the balance sheet of banks, in the balance sheet of the of financial intermediaries. That means that the financial intermediaries are, are risk to go bankrupt and therefore there is a chain effect because everybody mm -hmm. holds bonds. Pension fund that will not have money, etc. Therefore we use those instruments. And that was the instrument that were sort of codified or developed uh, uh, by Bernanke uh, as a first, uh, as a first uh, uh, during the financial crisis. The okay. difference in the uh, COVID crisis is at the end was a real crisis because you essentially locked down the economy. By locking down the economy, the system of demand and supply don't exist anymore. The four instruments like monetary policy, that is an instrument of controlling the, the level of demand, is not very powerful, it doesn't do very much. What you need in that case is fiscal policy. Because the fiscal policy can target the individuals. You give money to people to survive. But this one then has got an effect, because for example, the monetary expansion that, that was done by everybody during the period, uh, what did people do with the money? You buy housing, real estate, the only thing you can do. Therefore, what you have, and now you create a bubble in the real estate. And possibility inflationary pressure that now you, you see, especially in US, etc. Therefore, there is, you know, the, the nature of the shock was so big that actually monetary policy, the instrument of monetary policy that were very important during the financial crisis, actually showed uh, that were much less uh, much less relevant, and in some sense they build up this inflationary, especially for the intervention of the in the Fed, the Europe, everywhere, a sort of an inflationary baseline that was increasing, uh, because you flowed everything with liquidity, but the liquidity had nowhere to go, and uh, because essentially you closed the economy, therefore there was not a real demand supply process to control, but just giving resources for people to survive. And then yeah. what happened now is is uh, a bit of inflationary pressure and the need uh, somehow monetary policy to to turn back, uh, turn back the clock and try to control the system again. Okay. So it's very interesting because there was a lot of contention as to the timing of this price because there is an overlap with financial crisis post-pandemic and just general financial shocks which lead to runs on the banks. And now that you mention it, there is a, a difference between the two. But could you tell us more about the elegance of the Vic and Diamond's model, yeah. or Bernanke's model? Because there is a subtle difference looking at this slight overlap that I mentioned. Yes. Uh, the Diamond model, the, the, the sort of the milestone uh, uh, paper, is very elegant because it's one of these papers that is very precise in what they try to do. Essentially, explain try to explain what is the role of deposit insurance in avoiding uh, bank runs. Simple question, uh, as you said, you know, is, isn't that obvious? <laughs> uh, is actually 
when you go through with a framework with uh, imperfect information, asymmetric information, uh, and all these uh, trust mechanisms, etc., they provide a very elegant. It's very elegant if you like this kind of thing. If you are a sort of, uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, as you say, uh, <laughs> yeah, an economist, but also, uh, <laughs> yeah, a bit of, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, an economist that kind of like this kind of thing is very elegant because by carefully the, uh, constructing the relationship between this role of maturity transformation and the information that the individual have the information that the bank use, etc., they find really all these different details about when the deposit insurance works, how does it work, what are the pros and cons of this process. You know? But it's very simple, it's, it's, it's relatively simple, it's, a relatively, it's very transparent, and uh, it gives a lot of uh, food for thought. Therefore, it's one of these papers that is very simple, and then millions of papers start from there. Yes. Because people then complicate it, try to understand it, then different. Uh, that's why it's so quoted. Uh, it's simple because you start a whole approach of how you deal with the financial market. Therefore, there, you know, if, you are, if there is any student of economics out there, etc., those is one of the papers that really you have to look at as an example okay. of, of this kind of thing. Bernanke okay. is different because Bernanke started as an historian. He's an economic historian. And what he did was really to go back at the 1929 crisis. And at the time, there was not many. They were looking at the financial, uh, at the financial, at the role of the financial market there in a sort of secondary element. Okay, there is the crisis, there is the et cetera. But, for example, my Friedman and Schwartz, they were focusing on the monetary policy or they were focusing on the real side, et cetera. What he did carefully to show how much there was an independent amplification coming from the financial market of the crisis. So why the crisis was so long, the 1929, because of the big contraction in the financial flows. And why you have big contraction in the financial flows? Because there, there was too much risk in the financial system. And therefore, one of the way in which when he did the, uh, when he was uh, Fed uh, chairman, was really to use that kind of framework to think about this financial, this, this financial, that financial crisis, 2007, 2008, because it was about controlling, to reactivate the economy, you need to control the amount of risk that is inside the system. Mm -hmm. That was very much, uh, it is very, that's a very nice, actually, the, 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 the original paper, uh, is a very nice, uh, also reading, as a sort of very, uh, because of, how carefully looking at the data, how actually original it was. And then there is a lot of other contributions that Bernanke did, really to put the financial market as a fundamental component of a macroeconomic model. Uh, there is very few models that have, in the way he did it, as in the new, in the new framework, to really think about what are these amplifying, uh, amplifying mechanism uh, that the financial market uh, Actually, if there was another person uh, uh, that should have got the Nobel Prize, I think, uh, was the one, actually, the first paper uh, that really looking at the relation with the financial market uh, was uh, Kiyotaki, a very okay. famous journal of political economy. Uh, 
that actually everybody says, but if you give it to Bernacke, you needed to give it to Kiyotaki as well. Okay. He's a phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal uh, economist. Uh, and uh, every time you find a paper of Kiyotaki, uh, it's, it's definitely uh, worth oh, look lovely. at because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful writer as well. Perhaps what we should do is provide links to each of these research papers on our website. Yes. And yeah. once people uh, have yeah, listened, sure. if they're interested... I mean, you've definitely inspired me to read these further. It's so beautiful when you can see things distilled down to the elegance of, of something simple. So I really look forward to it. But now you mentioned the um, you mentioned that there is a lot of risk with the financial markets and how both papers, you know, looking at the role of deposit insurance, insurance depends on risk, and also looking at the financial cycles, which go up and down depending on risk. Now, yeah. if we look at the difference between an emerging market as well as an advanced economy, there is definitely quite a different risk profile attached to the economy, which also on some level leads to the trust in the financial system. How different would you say these learnings from this research would be for an emerging versus an advanced economy? Is there any difference or is it distilled to the essence that is consistent between all economies? It, it is different. It's, it's quite interesting. A lot of the financial market, the financial crisis literature before the, the financial crisis were all papers uh, uh, on emerging countries. Therefore, if you see who were the economists that could forecast the financial crisis, were all economists that work on Argentina, on Mexico, on, <laughs> on Asia, for Ragurajan, and, and, and a lot of other people. Because this element of risk and the financial bubbles and financial collapse and the financial cycle were part of the baggage and the, on the tools of the discussion in all emerging Latin America crises, Asian crises, Russian crises, etc. For those that were working in international economics, yeah, have naturally this thinking about the risk of financial crisis. Because in some sense, uh, uh, this is, we will have uh, at, the, at the end of November the ERSA CPR, uh, a CPR uh, workshop on... Yes. Uh, uh, emerging market economies. This will be a very interesting, uh, interesting gathering of economists from all over the world here in Pretoria. And uh, if you see the paper, it's all about, it's all about this. It's all about what is the financial cycle and how this and the risk and how these affect the economy, affect the firms, affect the individuals, affect development, etc. Because we, that's what we continually experience. Therefore, consider uh, an emerging countries is a place that potentially give you a high return if you invest there, because you you are you have expectation of growth, but there is a risk attached to it that is institutional risk, historical risk, economic risk, etc. Therefore, this relationship between international investors, the capital floating around the world, and investing in all these countries that have a very big growth potential and therefore a very high return, but there is a very high risk attached. Mm -hmm. Plus, this risk is always changing depending on what the condition of the center is. Therefore, you have you know, financial cycles that hit all the country on the basis of what is up in the U.S. Or whatever. Therefore, this element of 
understanding uh, what is the risk and uh, uh, and also understanding how you can regulate this flow and regulate this risk is very much part of the discussion uh, discussion nowadays and the fundamental tools are the bernacke gettler uh, uh, especially bernacke the models that he did really to understand in a in a in a close economy what was the role of this financial cycle they for example all the work of the imf on the what they call the uh, integrated uh, monetary policy framework is about integrating the monetary policy, all the macroprudential instrument and uh, regulatory instrument to reduce this fluctuation of capital flows uh, to match these capital flows with the financial need uh, of the country, avoiding the big uh, uh, runs on countries. Now we are not, mm. we don't have run on banks, but we have run on the whole sovereign, on the whole country. That is the big risk of a lot of emerging countries. But, you, but it's true that you can have a run on countries even in UK. Yes. Because what happened with during the least trust, uh, short oh, gosh, uh, yes. prime minister uh, government in uh, was a typical run of a country driven by loss of confidence in government policy. This can happen in UK, can happen in Argentina, can happen here. We have to be extremely careful about that. It can happen everywhere. Therefore, when there is a mismatch, when there is when the plans lose credibility, therefore there is no trust anymore in the institutional framework, in the, in the long-term policy, etc. What happens? You have a run on countries. And the mechanism is very much like the Diamond Divig one, the Diamond Divig model, but with but now not on banks, on sovereign. Okay. And this one imposes a lot of issues in terms of how we present the policy, how we, we maintain long-term stability. All the discussion that we have nowadays in South Africa is very much about you know, how do we end up from uh, and, uh, get out of this hole we find ourselves, yes. maintaining a sort of a level of credibility and stability so that, that we, we, we are able to borrow. Yes, yes. It's about building confidence, both locally within the country, but also with our partners overseas. Gosh, this is very, very interesting. And I can chat about monetary economics for days, I know. But is there anything else you'd like to add, Professor? No, no, I just, uh, it was a really nice and I, I uh, a really nice conversation. I invite everybody to have a, a deeper look at uh, the work of Bernanke and the work of uh, Diamond Devig, uh, the work on uh, Kyotaki uh, and uh, many, many others that follow them. But this one is very interesting. It's a very interesting work and I think they, they deserve the Nobel Prize if for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, uh, yeah, it was a very nice conversation. I invite uh. everybody. The economics can be very, very interesting. Yes, <laughs> definitely. People should study it. Uh, we are waiting for the, for everybody to come. Uh, and it and it affects us. University studying this. It affects us all. Thank you, Prof. And uh, yes, I, thank uh, you. Perhaps in the next uh, few years we'll uh, be inter interviewing you as a Nobel Prize winner. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, as I said, I, I, it's more likely that I, I play at the, in the World Cup, in the Football World Cup. <laughs> I, I'll interview you then too. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. We Thank really you, Marco. We really appreciate this okay. opportunity.
And thank you also to our listeners. And as Prof mentioned, we have a very interesting workshop being held by SAMNET, component of OSA and the CEPR, which will be hosted on the 28th and 29th of November. And we will be posting this footage on our website after the workshop. So we hope that you will enjoy it. Great minds coming together and sharing great ideas. And that will be on our new SAMNET website, which I'm not sure if you will have seen yet, on www.samnet.org.za. www.samnet.org.za. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to our socials on LinkedIn and Twitter. This is your host, Margot G, from the Ursa Podcast Series. Till next time.